0: All right, Ryan Aho here, bringing you episode number fifty. Bert, two more weeks, two more weeks. We got a whole year, but episode number fifty here of the One to Go Show, and of course, the One to Go Show brought to us by our fr- our friends over at Weir's Machine. We're gonna start out with a weekend review that we always start out there. Like to talk about not a lot of racing in the area, but uh, the guys over at Weir's Machine, whether it's local, national, wherever it is. And they sell parts everywhere. You know, they got they got any trinket you can imagine. You know, Puka's all raving about this uh you know cornhole deal. It's like I'm a racer, you know, that's all fine and good. Maybe the fans like that deal, but it's just another example of them expanding themselves over at Weir's Machine as a racer. You know, I had a lot of different stuff so, I mean, I had I had bird cages, all kinds of brackets, J-Bars, you name it, but those folks over at weir's Machine do a great job. So this is a time of year. And things are kind of wrapping up here, and people are going to be getting ready for the 2021 season. So give Chad and the guys a call over at Weir's Machine to get anything you need to get your car ready for next year. But, Bert, we're going to start over with a week in review. Not a lot of racing going on, but something, I mean, we all kind of like cheaters. I mean, you had a cheaters night over there in Wisconsin. Talk about that a little bit. Uh,
1: yeah, 141 Speedway, uh, they uh, had a cheaters night, and uh, I was interested uh, – to see what kind of contraptions and uh, gimmicks that uh, some of these drivers would come up for, come up with for their cars, and uh, there were actually they had six divisions of racing and only forty-four cars in the six divisions. So uh, apparently, a lot of the drivers didn't want to go through all the extra work to. Uh, uh, put together a cheater's package. Uh, there well, was hey, Bert,
0: Maybe maybe they had 44 <laughs> guys that didn't have to change anything. I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I'm not over there. I don't know.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there was another track, uh, you know, with not too far away from 141 on uh, Gravity Park. Uh, they had a special also. And they had over 100 cars at that show. Uh, but, you know, they could race their normal cars. They didn't have to cheat them up. Um, some of the interesting things were um, – one driver in the stock car division, it looked like he just took a piece, a big piece of plywood and put it on, on the roof of his car, fastened it <laughs> to try to hold them in the corners. Uh, one of the stock car drivers uh, had a big uh, sprint car wing on his car. Uh, those always seem to do the best in these uh, cheater races. Uh, it was interesting, uh, Larry Richards, who races a grand national car, uh, he went, he decked his car out. He had sideboards down the complete side, had the big spoiler in the back and a sideboard on uh the other side of the car, you know, just over the rear deck along the rear deck. So he went the complete eighties route and, and did it up and obviously he won both uh he won the both features. Actually, because they only had forty four cars, they decided to run a double show. So they ran a set of heat races for each division, a feature, and then they they did it all over again. They just inverted the the heat race lineups and uh, did it all over again. Uh, It was also interesting, uh, Brazen Bennett brought his asphalt late model and raced with the IMCA stock cars. Uh, Well, I should probably just say stock cars because they're not IMCA legal. (laughs) Uh, But he actually ran pretty well. Um, I'm assuming he had dirt tires on it. I don't know for sure um as we've talked a lot on the show though sometimes when you're racing on a dirt track it's like racing on on an asphalt track uh but he was a, he he actually ran really well so uh um you know I wasn't there but I watched it on flow and um you know it was it was cool seeing uh oh one of the uh Jason Sharapata uh, I or uh, a modified driver he had he didn't have a sprint car wing but he had like a big panel on the top of his roof and then on on the front of his car he had another like a panel so uh, it was cool to see something different um, I'm sure they they wish that they would have had more cars there uh, but it was the first time that they did something like this uh, I, I mean I think it's cool to do it you know what you know maybe once a year just you know let the drivers have fun and see what they can cut can come up with some of the stock car drivers they took the fenders off their cars and they probably had because the IMCA tires uh, they probably had some was style tires because they have a lot better uh, bite than the IMCA or the IMCA tires do so I mean overall I mean there's a lack of cars but I mean it was fun to watch. How was the fan count? I'm not sure what the fan count was like I that I didn't uh, pay attention to. Um, there was a stiff wind blowing, so <laughs> uh, you know that may have scared scared some people away too. Because actually, that track's not too far away from Lake Michigan, so it it can get uh, a little oh, bit well, cold. Is it right on the lake? I mean, how close is it? it to lake it's not right on the lake. Uh, it's it's a little bit north of Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which is pretty much right on the lake. I remember when I was on MJ McBride's pit crew. Uh, Uh, That's when Manitowoc would race Wednesday nights. And I went with him and he said, you know, you can leave Shawnee and you get the Manitowoc and it'll be 20 degrees cooler than what it is in So,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I had that in Superior. I'd be, well, an hour and a half roughly north of Superior up in Chisholm, Minnesota, where I lived. It'd be 80 in the middle of the summer. I'd have shorts on and stuff. I'd get down to Superior. It's forty-five degrees. I'm like, oh my goodness! And uh, you don't make that mistake too many times. I can tell you that. So, <laughs> so kind of a neat deal though. And it kind of reminds me. You sent a picture over of Steve Larson a few years back. He was there at a cheaters night and. I think you hit a sprint car wing on his late model, yep. didn't he? And he just yeah. killed him. So, yeah. So kind yeah, of he neat. started Some in the, the
1: back and just killed him.
0: <laughs> right, right. So that's kind of a neat deal. The drivers kind of like doing that kind of stuff. And you kind of see that. Like Hot Carl went down last week to that um, that deal down in Texas. At, I don't remember exactly what it was called. I don't have it in front of me. But that was kind of a glorified cheaters and neural. night totally – a little different deal, but all kinds of contraptions. And I didn't mention on last week's show, but Hot Carl – him and Tito were the flag men. they got to throw the green flag to start that deal <laughs> so so that kind of stuff I mean hats off to them guys doing something different to try to get creative to get some people excited about racing you know hey maybe maybe they were light on cars but as long as it got some people excited about it we're mm-hmm. talking about it they, they did a good job there so hats off mm-hmm. to the folks for getting that done but we actually yeah, did so, a I mean, of, go ahead
1: that, That's the only racing that we had on this side of the state. And we're, I think now we're pretty much done racing on this side of the state. Uh, but, uh, out West, uh, well, actually in Minnesota, you guys had, uh, some racing over this past weekend. They
0: did. You know, Ogilvy Speedway had the, the fall classic over there in the week before I was over in Madison and it was cold. I mean, it was crazy cold. And I'm like, oh man, you know, if it's that cold, I wonder how this deal is going to turn out Well, mother nature cooperated. And it was 75, almost 80 degrees. It was beautiful. The first day, they had 312 cars. It's listed 313, but Chris Steppen is a good buddy with Scott Greer from up in Canada, and I think he posted him on the lineups kind of like an honorary inside joke deal because Scott Greer was not there, I don't believe. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty positive. (laughs) But they had him down in the heat. They had him down in the V-Main as another participant so that way he can officially have never missed a fall classic i think that's how that works so but 313 day one day two they added in the the smash them up late i mean the limited late models and uh, they had three so they had 325 cars total in you know the racing and the heat races and the heat races i'm like oh boy it's gonna be a long weekend it just dry kind of one laney not real excited there was a few good heats i think probably the shining moment i guess To me, in the heat race, is Giassi looped it in turn one. And I don't know if there was a little help there or whatever, but he he ended up getting turned around. He came from dead last, got to fourth, which at least got him into the A main, salvaged the weekend, and he made the most out of it the second day. But the features is that, you know, I I thought the heats were kind of not so good. I, I just wasn't all that excited about the heats. But the features, most of them were pretty darn good. You know, we'll start with the lates because that one wasn't all that great. Bert, did you get a chance to watch any of that from Ogre?
1: Yeah, I I did watch uh, several of the features. I did watch the late model feature. And, um, you know, I didn't watch it live. I watched it after the fact. So I knew uh, actually what happened, you know, before I watched it. And as I'm watching it, you know, Jesse Glenn's is leading and leading and leading. It's like, you know, the track rubber down and there's no passing. So how can you lose when the track's rubber down? and i don't know if he couldn't keep his car down low but he drifted well the thing is i thought well maybe he tried to, because he was in in heavy traffic but i think the track was such that it didn't matter as long as you just stayed in line not tried to pass anybody well listen to me trying to tell a driver how to <laughs> how to race uh but you know it, you know it looked like you know as long as you stayed in line you know tr- make door, try to pass you for the lead. If he passes you for the lead, well, you know, just, you know, shake his hand afterwards and say, good job. Uh, but when he got past, he drifted high and the car that was actually in front of him had also drifted a little high. So I'm not quite sure why he went high. And then even after that, he was in second, second, and then, and then, uh, he drifted high again and Giassi got by him. And then I, I can't remember exactly, but if, if it was on a restart or something, then there, he got contact with some other cars and he got shuffled back a little bit further. You don't you don't see that from Jesse Glenn's every day. <laughs> I, I messaged him
0: on Facebook and I'm like, did, did something break? You know, because I, I literally, it looked to me like he maybe lost his brakes because, I mean, the car just went, took off on him a couple yep. of times. And he's like, no, he goes, uh, just not a good night. He says, uh, <laughs> he goes, I backpedaled a little bit. Then I had contact with the 58 there, AJ Demo. Yep. I think he ended up cutting the tire down. He ended up DNFing the whole deal. Okay. And I'm thinking in my mind, Jesse, man, like you're leading. It's one lane rubber, like literally one lane. I mean, the first 15 to 18 laps was pretty good. There was some passing mm-hmm. because um, Giasi came from 14th to 2nd. And he – so before it locked down rubber, he charged his way up to the front. Hell of a run there for nitro. But the fact is, I mean, you get the lead on that deal on a rubber down track. The first thing I think he did, he tried to pass that lapper on the outside, and he went – door snuck right by him. And then, then I don't know if he was waving to his new wife or I'm not <laughs> sure what he was doing there. We, we love you, man. But it's like – you know, you know, we got to pick on him because you don't make the mistakes very often because it's like, you know, fool me once, shame on me, or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. He goes, to, he pushed up. I don't know if he tried to lane up or what he was doing, but he ended up losing spots again and pretty soon he had contact and just a complete meltdown um, by Jesse Glens there. But Pat Doerr, um, another invitational win for the Double One Express, so Great invitational season for Pat Noor. He's on top of the one to go show power rankings, as you see. So, so great end of the year for Pat Nor. So, any any more on the late models? There, uh, no, not on the late models. Um, I do have, have one more thing on the late models. Okay. So, Sobrasi. Wow. Was, I was driving.
1: Say, Bro- we gotta
0: talk about that. <laughs> yeah, Sabraski's so driving Provenzino's car. And in the heat race, I mean, you could tell he was, you know, he was okay. He finished mid-pack. I think he got maybe fifth in the heat. I can't remember exactly, but he was he was okay. And in the feature right away, there was contact between it was Sam Mars and Jeff Provenzino. There was a little contact, and and I looked and I couldn't quite pick it out from what I heard. And I again I I, I didn't quite see it. It sounds like Sam maybe got a little crossed up. Jeff got into him while Shane was right behind Jeff, so they were all in that incident together 28 28 28, right? Triple triple threat right there. He I think he kind of stayed off Jeff, but then he hit the brake so hard that Shaw got into the back of Sebraski, ripped the rear bumper right off the car. Next thing you know, he's done can't race a lot of rear bumpers yeah, okay. so they DQ'd him. And they blame the incident on Jeff. And at first, I'm like, "Oh man, Jeff put Sebraski in the car, and Jeff took them (laughs) both out." But I don't think it was that way. I think there was just a little, I think there was a little scrambling in front of him, and it just, you know, kind of happened or whatever. I don't think Jeff was maybe the culprit on that deal, but he got the call. But um, Sebraski said, "You know, it it was fun." He goes, "I'd like to get back in it. We didn't really. I wish, I wish I could have seen what I could have done with it. Uh You know, uh not that he would have won from where he was, but." A hell of a driver, it would have been fun to see. So, speaking of Sebraski, let's roll into the modified. Yep, because we talked about Demo having a little contact with Glenn's. Now, I'm wondering if Shane sent him a bill. Professor Sebraski gave AJ Demo a schooling. (laughs) I mean, it was it was artwork, it was beautiful, right? I mean, he got he caught him. So, Demo was probably a little quicker, he got away on the top got into lap traffic and Sabraski methodically tracks him down, shows his nose underneath them with two to go and what does Demo do? I'm gonna go down here where Shane was and where does Shane go right where Demo was and drove right by him off of four for the win on the top. It's like oh my god he suckered him right out of his line and and uh Demel will probably watch that one and not be real happy because had he stayed up top
1: and just kept charging three and four I think he wins that race. I think if he charges. I, I don't know, because uh, Sobrasky was the only one who could make up ground uh, on the bottom. Uh, if you listen to the announcer at the end, every lap, they would say what, how, how many second lead uh, Dimo had. And Sobrasky was, was, was cutting into that every lap when he was running the low side and Dimo was running the high side. But you're right, as soon as Demo saw Sobrasky's nose, he dropped down to the bottom. But as I'm watching that, I'm thinking to myself, that's the right thing to do. You take his lane away. And but I mean You, you know, you you, you here's and Puka the deal. talk about Sabraski a lot and and as I watch him more, I can understand why.
0: <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. He was cutting into his lead and lap <laughs> traffic. And and honestly, about the last five, six laps there, I believe that AJ just got ultra conservative. He wasn't charging a corner. He was being really patient. And that's why you don't see him bang up his stuff very often. You don't see him shred a lot of team. You don't see him getting a lot of wrecks because he's really conservative and he doesn't charge. He's not like, you know, he's, if he has a wide open deal, he'll charge. But if there's a lot of lap cars around, he's really patient. And, and I think had he charged the corner harder – and he just kept driving as hard as he was driving because he drove away from Shane. Shane only caught him because of the lap cars, and he really started getting conservative. You know, again, I've never in my entire life watched a race and lost. I've won every single one that I watched. <laughs> so, and I, so I get it. We've all been there, but that's one of those deals where, you know, I, I guarantee you AJ's looking back at that deal going, Oh, man, I, there's so many things he could have did different. But needless to say, Sabraski number 45 on the year, hell of a season he's had. I mean, he, he's a wheel, he's a wheel man for sure. Oh, yeah.
1: Like I said, the more I watch him, the more I see that. Uh But I do want to mention one thing, you know, we talked about how the late model feature the track had locked down and, you know, it was a one laner. Uh, but the modified feature was right after the late model feature, and they were able to race multiple grooves. So they I mean, farmed it, it. they farmed oh, it. Oh, they farmed it. Okay, yep. all right.
0: Yeah. yeah, you didn't see that on the replay because they cut that well, part of it out.
1: <laughs> well, no, I, I don't know if they cut that out, but uh, when you watch it afterwards, you can just kind of fast forward. So okay, <laughs> that makes sense then. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they, they farmed <laughs> it. They should
0: have probably farmed it before the late models. behind hindsight's 2020, but the mods had a hell of a race there. Another race. That was maybe not quite as good, but a little, you know, a little bit of history there. The Superstock feature, my favorite class. Dave Moss started up front, drove out to a big lead, never looked back. And Dylan uh, Dylan Kromschroeder, a young gun. I picked on this kid. I said, man, he's a cherry picker. He skipped the whole Superstock series. He done no it his home tracks, but he was racing for some championships down south but he come up on a big stage here at the fall classic got second great run for him in the nine car and uh moss as it turns out he only raced ogilvy a couple times this year he raced there you know traditionally that's kind of been one of his main tracks all the way back to 2009 and looking at it here ben from dirt race central posted this he said with that feature win he's won at least one feature there every single year since the track opened in 2009 so I think he's the only guy to ever do that. And he's got after that, it's 91 feature wins at the big O for, for Dave Moss. So congratulations. I've raced a lot of laps against him. We may not have liked each other when we did race against each other, but he's a he's a hell of a race car driver.
1: <laughs> um, Bert, did you watch the Midwest Mod feature? I did watch the Midwest mod feature and that was you know, good. I apologize. I, I don't know the names as well as you do, obviously. <laughs> Uh, but that was a pretty good feature, especially uh, uh, at the very end when the checkered flag was waving and there was only like a half a car length difference.
0: Yeah, there uh, was, it seemed the two like there was, they went green, white, checkered a couple times. They had a bunch of cautions right at the end. And uh, Jason Vandykamp, who's won that race, I don't know how many times, but I think he's got a couple wins at the Fall Classic for sure. I think it might even be more than that. He's won a few of them, but he's a really good driver, runs a mod and a Midwest mod. Looked like he had it kind of sitting pretty good there. But Travis Schulte was rolling on the high side. And you could see, I mean, he was, I mean, driving that thing so far into three on the high side. And the one, the one time he got by him for the lead and then the yellow came out, I'm like, there is no way Vandy Camp's going <laughs> to go up and block. There's no way. And he really couldn't because at the time on the Delaware start, Dave kane He was driving the car Tony Barr usually drives. He was side by side. He's running the bottom. So now Vandy Camp, he's seeing Kane roll the bottom. You're seeing Schulte on the top. He's like, well, holy crap, what do I do? And uh, Schulte snuck by him on the outside coming off four for his second fall classic win. So congrats to him on that one. That was a hell of a show too. And in, in the class, I talked about this after Madison. Another spectacular performance by the Wissota Street Stocks. And I'm gonna Bert, I'm gonna tell you straight up, like literally until this year, watching a lot of races online. And, and probably mainly because I'm friends with a few of them guys, and they had that Street Stock tour. I personally, right, wrong, or indifferent, never paid a lot of attention to the Street Stocks. <coughs> I just didn't. I watched the mods, late, supers, sometimes the Midwest mods. I just didn't pay attention. I'm here to tell you, like, if you're an avid race fan, that they probably put on the best show out of everybody. It's absolutely amazing. And Ryan Satter with another big win. Um, boy, he's been fast. He just won the King of Dirt. But the guy that was really on the move, Parker Anderson, he won one night over at the Madtown Showdown. He wins the B main, comes from 17th to second. If there's a restart with a couple laps to go, he might win that deal from the B. I mean, he was impressive driving over there from Phillips, Wisconsin. So really had a blast watching those street stocks. And like I said, mother nature cooperated, great fan count, great car count, you know, hats off to FYA motorsports hats off to the folks at, at Ogilvy speedway because they, they put on a hell of a show this weekend.
1: Yeah, they did. Uh, they, that division actually reminds me a lot of the IMCA stock car division on our side of the state. It's, it's, uh, it seems like every week it's door handle, door handle racing, you know, sometimes, you know, three wide, sometimes even four wide. <laughs> and, uh, actually uh, one of the announcers on this side of the state uh, dubbed the IMCA stock car division as the division too tough to tame. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of fitting because it's a uh, rough and tumble, but it produces some great racing and that's what the Wasota street stock division is doing also. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about, you know, we uh, criticize some drivers and then they seem to come out and, uh, uh, prove us wrong and we must have pissed somebody off this last week <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we're like you know this guy's only won three features since he's been a late model Kyle Larson goes over to Port Royal incidentally he owns Port Royal he lets people race there but uh, he kind of owns that place and he double up there this weekend I think it was a Nittany was it the Nittany showdown or Nittany shootout over there at Port Royal won both of them I mean just incredible I mean that guy is it's just it's just insane watching him race but you know, um, Kyle, if you're watching the show, I mean, obviously he must watch the show, right? Um, <laughs> send us a check because our column got you from second to first. So you're welcome for that. And uh, But in all honesty, it's been a joy watching him this year. And he was a class in the field both nights. I mean, he's so good everywhere, but at that track, he's, he's about unbeatable. And, and my buddy Keith, he's like, He's like, guess who won? He goes, well, you don't even have to guess. You know who won. I mean, so he's, he's a huge <laughs> Kyle Larson fan. I keep giving him crap. So he's going to get in a NASCAR. He's like, God, I hope not. Cause I'll never get to watch him race dirt again if he gets with the wrong team. So hopefully I'm going to cross my fingers that he stays in dirt so that we get to watch him. Cause it's been a treat And the points in the world of all that right now, you know, that kind of tighten up a little bit here. You know, you got sweet out front, you got Schuhart is second 32 back, but Donny Schatz after a couple respectable weekends here he's only 68 points out with 5 points races left so you know i mean one bad night there for sweet a couple good nights for them and you could have a hell of a finish coming into the world finals here so that's going to be something to keep an eye on
1: well in in one of those races sweet did uh, have some tough luck he was involved in one of the wrecks in one of those races uh one thing that uh i think we talked about this the other week but uh it amazes me at how big that track is. <laughs> that, it, that track has some long straightaways, and actually Larson did get passed in one of those races. But then the caution came out right right after that, so they reverted back to the the last completed lap, and then it was over after that. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that Larson would have got him back, but uh, you know, it's. Uh, He sure makes uh, watching sprint car racing fun though. I I probably watch more sprint car racing this year than I have in the last several years combined. So, uh, you know, I'm a late model fan and, uh, you know, and uh, there wasn't a lot of late model racing this past weekend because the hurricane took uh, took, uh, care of some of of the Lucas shows, Uh, but the Mars series did get their races in and uh, they started Friday night at uh, Peoria Speedway in Illinois.
0: Yeah, you know, like you said, and it was kind of cool because there was no World of Outlaw late models, there was no Lucas Oil late models. So some of those guys from both series came over and raced with this one. And uh, Peoria, a guy that has been, you know, you get him on the national stage, you get him on the Lucas Oil series, it's like this guy's not even competitive for whatever reason. But then you get him on his home turf, and Brian Shirley is really good. You get him around that Illinois area, that guy is flat out fun to watch, and he won the first night out. So that was impressive. Now, what's interesting is he is Heckenast had a pretty big lead rolling into night number one in the points. I don't exactly remember the number 33. 30, 30, 33 so Pretty 30 substantial. Heckenast stepped all over his wiener. Like the pressure was too much. He spins out. Then he got caught up, gets a flat tire, and literally hit. I mean, he could not have. I mean, literally had a rough night there. Actually, I think that might have been the second night. What did Heckenast finish the first night? Or did he? He had.
1: Not, he, he, had a, he had a flat tire at Fairbury. Yeah, that was
0: Fairbury where I'm thinking. Right. So, but needless to say, he didn't have a very good night at Peoria either because they closed the gap all the way to six. So I, right. I, I, so I misspoke a little bit there on Peoria. So, But he just had a terrible night. The only guy to really pass was Pierce. Mars. Jimmy Mars was at all three. He punted a tractor tire. And uh, Peoria, I guess this is why I didn't really remember it, kind of locked down on the bottom and uh there is in my opinion and Bert I'm gonna let you weigh in on this there is nothing worse nothing than a one lane on the bottom racetrack it is like excruciating to watch like you can't there's like nothing anybody can do and that's what Peoria did it got down on the bottom they just rolled around
1: What what's your thoughts on that well yeah it was you had the race on the bottom side uh it wasn't a lockdown track. Like you would think it's a lockdown track. Actually, it was a track where it looked like there was too much traction in the bottom lane and the the rest of the track had a slicked off. Uh, So you wanted to stay in the, in the traction lane. Uh, To me, I don't know if they move those tires in and out in the corners. To me, if they, if they would have pushed the tires out further and block that, uh, traction lane, I'll call it, uh, then it would have been the entire racing service would have been slick from top to bottom and that would have probably produced better racing.
0: You know, that's a great idea. I've seen that done at several tracks where, you know, think about Cedar Lake. How many times do you see Cedar Lake, they had a traction strip on the bottom as wide as a car. Yep. The whole rest of the tracks dirty and marbly and nobody can really go anywhere up there. You know, not every night was like that, but more than should have been. And when that happens, it's like, well nobody's gonna you can't even race. So nobody as a driver. Nobody likes in big U tires. But if I had to pick between big U tires and one lane on the bottom racing, give me the U tires. I'll take them all day long because at least you can move around on the track. So take them tires, move them out on the traction, kind of rework that outside part of the track, clean it off. So that way it's clean and dry from the tires to the wall. And at least people can move around on the track. So if you use them tires properly, you can prepare, you can actually make a multiple lane racing surface and as, as a driver and as, especially as a fan, I'd take one lane on the cushion all day long over one lane on the bottom. Cause at least you can chuck some sliders in on the bottom. It's like bumper cars down there and you're hoping somebody slides up and you can't do nothing. Nobody wants to watch that, but that was only night one. That was the lowest paying show of the deal. But night two was a whole lot better at Fairbury and we've been raving. Can, about can I this make place. one
1: comment before yep. we get to Fairbury? Um, I have seen tracks use those tires in, in the way that you had just described. Just an example, Shano Speedway did that. was doing that one year. And when the World of Outlaw show, came there, they did that. They pushed it, the, there was a traction strip at the bottom. They pushed the tires out to block that traction lane. And on the pace laps, the Outlaw drivers used their noses and nudged the tires <laughs> down inside. <laughs> and nice. it, it did exactly that it it was a one lane everybody's hugging the bottom because that's where the traction is
0: right and and, and yeah i can i may have done that <laughs> myself a time or two and you know it depends where you start if you're starting back in 15th you're like going in the infield, pushing them out on the track. It's right. like, I want more than one lane here. But if you're starting in the front, you're like, oh, this is an advantage. We'll kind of slide them in. And then we just you hit your marks and the race is over. And I've been on so many tracks. I've been on a lot of good tracks, been on a lot of bad tracks. But like I said, my least favorite thing when I raced as a racer and as a fan is one lane on the bottom. It just absolutely
1: drives me insane. Yeah. But, uh, you had mentioned Fairbury, that's a track you don't have to worry about moving tires around in the bottom.
0: <laughs> no, no, that place is awesome. And this is where Hacking kind of dropped the ball. He had a, he was down by six points to Shirley here. And yeah, Frankie had a, he was up by six. Yeah. Frankie had a six, point lead. six. Yeah, had yeah. a six point lead because he had a 33 point lead on Shirley, lost a chunk of that, had a six point lead. And then he just self-destructed. He ended up spinning out, got a flat tire DNF the race and, and, uh, and surely got let's surely get in that deal. He was up in like sixth or seventh, somewhere in that neighborhood. But uh Brand, needless to say, the guy that's own falls for every time he goes there lately, Brandon Shepard. I mean, he just I mean, he was a class of the field. Josh Richards was not real far behind him, never right. really yeah. mounted a huge challenge, but he was there. And I believe last time they were there, they finished first and second as well. And uh, you know, the guy that was impressive to me though was shannon babb the moeco yeah, yeah. missile he started 20th got to third and, and i have watched a lot of raises at fairbury this year and he has been very good at fairbury do you know if he was running uh which car he was running was he, he running the he had the bloom quest car? car yeah okay yep so that thing looked really good jimmy mars got fifth so a good solid top five for the Iceman. but you know what's interesting is and we'll get into this in a second here but they, I was looking at the points deal I'm thinking okay all three of these nights are Mars races and I was confused because I looked at the points after the second night after Fairbury, and it said final points I'm like well they got some, they got one more dist- racing in La Salmar what are they talking about well they only had points at the first two and their their fall or their fin- finale or whatever wasn't even for points that makes no sense to me did that make any sense to you
1: no that didn't make any sense to me because Well, first of all, I want to comment on Bab because I I tuned in a little late. I didn't see the heat races. I tuned in for the B-Mains, and Bab is on the front row of a B-Main. It's like, what is Bab doing on the front row of a B-Main? But, yeah, he went 20th uh, to 3rd. So, I mean, you know, that was a great run for him. Uh, But as far as the the championship night, yeah, when everything was happening with Hekiness, he got the flat tire. The announcers were saying he was up by six points, and, you know, this is really going to hurt him. And then, uh, you know, he got, well, it took him a while to get the tire changed because I think the tire shredded and it wrapped around. Um, but, uh, he did get back out there and then he came back in and then the announcer said, well, you know, uh, Shirley just clinched the championship. And I'm thinking, how can he clinch the championship? You guys have one more race. And the, the funny thing is, cause the Sunday night race in, La, in LaSalle is even, was even called championship night. Right. Well right. They they give away the championship trophy, but I don't understand that. I mean, why why do you have a non point race in a series? That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to ask I'll have to ask Tony Izzo about that because he has sixteen promotions, that's his series, and you know, I'm just gonna say, why on earth would you do that? That made absolutely no sense to me either. I, I really don't understand why, but I am gonna ask him why he did that. Because I, I was really curious, and and again, uh, the class of the field, Brandon Shepard. But was he the class of the field? He he wasn't dominant. He didn't get the lead till the end. You know who ran really well in that race? Chris Simpson. He's got like five or six nights now. He's he switched over from Longhorns to MB Customs, and uh, he looked pretty darn good. I mean, he he led the lion's share of that race. He must have led all but like maybe five six laps at the end. And uh, did you happen to see the incident that happened about halfway through, just past the halfway
1: mark with him, some lap cars, Rusty Schlenk? Did you see that, Neil? Well, I didn't see it originally. You know, I was watching it, and then the announcer said, you know, Schlenk hits, hits a lap car, and they weren't sure how much damage he had. Well, then they showed that he turned around, and, well, he had broke a tie rod or something. I mean, there's no way he was going to continue. And then it looked like he darted up towards Chris Simpson, and then the announcer said, "Well, he must not be happy with Chris Simpson. Maybe Simpson spun the lap car, but I didn't see it. So actually, what I did, because I, um, I, I was watching it on my computer, so I just uh, moved it back a little bit and rewatched it. And you really can't tell, but Simpson was really close to the car, so I think there might have been some contact."
0: <laughs> yeah, that, I, I looked for that too, and I, I kind of scrolled back there, and I'm like, "Man, I couldn't see it. It's all on nerd on nerd And and I scrolled, and I kept looking, and it didn't really show the incident, unfortunately, but uh, he let, needless to say, he must have seen something that warranted him being pissed off, because the lap car, I think in the lap, lap car was was Rich Bell, and he got turned around, he went up the track, smashed into him, wrecked his front end, there goes a second-place finish there for Rusty Schlenk, who looked really good. Um, Bishop was struggling to even kind of stay with him there, so it looked like we had a really good race brewing, but needless to say, uh, Brandon Shepard, in that B5, he don't miss a beat. He gets out of Rocket 1, he gets into B5, he's just as fast, it don't matter. And uh, like you said, the cars are so consistent that it doesn't matter which car, they're all basically the same. So, man, he, he's got a lot of wins this year. He's a hell of a driver. Well, and you
1: know they were they were talking about this on Dirt on Dirt, too, and you had just mentioned it. you know, was Brandon Shepard the class of the field in the salaries? Um, I mean, he was the class of the field in – uh, Fairberry, I mean he, he won in dominating fashion but to me almost winning in LaSalle was almost more impressive to me because I like to watch what a driver has to do to win and if you watched him race uh, he was searching all over the over that track looking for the right groove I mean he finally found it where high side three and four down by the tires in one and two, and he did that lap after lap after lap until, and then he did a slider to to finish off the pass, so, I mean, you can tell a really, really good driver is one that will search and search, and when they find something, you know, it's not always the high side all the way around the track, sometimes it's the high side in only two corners, and the low side in, in the other two, so to me, that's almost more fun to watch than somebody just dominating
0: you're exactly right in fact our late model expert Jeff he kind of shot me over some stats and kind of kept me up to speed on the late model stuff this weekend you know I was out of town I didn't get to watch it all as well but that's what he said he goes man he was so methodical he was so just watching him search for that groove and find the right groove he said that was impressive and And that's a testament right there. You know, one thing about Tony Izzo, that guy can flat out prepare a racetrack. I've heard a lot of people say that when he prepared that track at LaSalle, there was some good racing. And that's the first race I've seen in a long time at LaSalle. There was a distinct three grooves of racing because Chris Simpson was rolling the middle. I think he was too tight to run the bottom. So he was rolling the middle and kind of coming up like he was a little tight. So he was kind of trying to just carry that momentum. Um, Shepard was kind of charging the top and then he started moving around at the end and a guy that got third there, I think Shirley got third, right?
1: Yeah, he was up there.
0: Yeah, Shirley got third and he was
1: actually running
0: right on the bottom. You know, and he was right inside. Yeah, of he was right the on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there was three lines of racing there. So, if you haven't watched it, jump on dirt on dirt and catch that action because it was a hell of a good race. So, you know, Peoria, not so much. Don't even waste your time watching that one. That one sucked. <laughs> but Fairberry's always good. If there's a race at Fairbury, it's like a must. You have to watch it. But LaSalle,
1: I, I would say LaSalle was as good or better than Fairbury was. Did you uh, see Brandon Shepherd's heat race at LaSalle? I did not. I, did not. Uh, I mean, if, if you can go back and watch that, I would recommend that too, because he was running third, I believe with maybe like four, three or four laps to go. And he, he was a, a little bit, there is quite a bit of a gap between a second place car and him. And he was right on the top all the way around the track and he caught him and passed all of them. And I mean, it, it, you know in that case the the high side all the way around the track was the fast way so i mean that's you know like i said before you know a driver who can race different lines and search and i i almost enjoy watching that that more than just a dominating race uh by Absolutely. a driver
0: there's a reason he's the number one rated driver in the country in the late model class. And that's why, I mean, he's absolutely, I mean, he's fun to watch, but I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm very impressed with Brian Shirley. Um, yep. He's somebody that when he's running the Lucas stuff, I'm like, man, this guy, you know, what's his deal. But a lot of them Woo guys, a lot of the Lucas guys have raced against him on his home turf and you get him around that home area, that Illinois, maybe it's the dirt or whatever man, is he good at home. He's so good. And, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him down at the wild west shootout in January because he was a class of the field down there. So, you know, he had a, he, well, he won the Mars series and he won the Hell tour,
1: you know, so yeah. he won both regional series. So heck of a good year there to, to the squirrel, Brian Shirley. Yeah. And he's got, there's a Wisconsin connection with that because his car owner is from Wisconsin. So, uh, and speaking of Wisconsin, we got to make sure to mention uh Taylor Scheffler made the trip, uh, down to all three of those races in the Mars series. Uh finished 17th at Peoria, 16th at Fairberry, and 13th at LaSalle. So uh he he qualified really good in at Fairbury for sure. I, I think he started fifth or so. I think he was at, fast
0: qualifier in his group, wasn't he? At, okay, at yeah. Uh,
1: so uh, you know, he's good at qualifying. He's got a work a little bit during the race, but I mean, he's still young and, you know, gaining experience. So, you know, it's good to see uh, local drivers make trips like that because whenever I interview drivers, you know, they always say, whenever I ask them, why do you travel? Because you learn so much when you travel. <laughs> right,
0: right. There's no, you race against the good competition, you apply what you learn and you're going to be better for it. And, you know, we've seen that on the Wasota side of things with some certain drivers and, and hats off to him. For making the trip down there and racing against some top competition, so yeah, that's pretty cool and you know I'm a mod guy so uh Bert <laughs> did, I don't know if you got a chance to watch this it was on XR did
1: you watch any of the
0: mod racing? I, I did
1: not see any of it no. <laughs> All right so
0: it, it was the hope Sef, the race for hope 71 which is the big race at Batesville Arkansas IMCA mods down there and surprise surprise rtj the 20 rt (laughs) uh brand new lethal car out there class of the field got her done now what's interesting on this brings us to ryan's rant of the week all right ryan's rant of the week brought to you by the folks at impact health sharing we're getting into open enrollment if you're way if you're paying way too much for health care get a hold of me I'll, i'll give you another alternative here that might be a good fit for you but night number one Peyton Taylor, this kid's a good driver. He's a really good driver. Had a hell of a good race there with Ricky Thornton Jr. Beat him at the line in the qualifying feature on night one. And uh, RTJ is like, man, hey, that was a fun race. And, you know, I mean, it was it was neck and neck at the end. Well, they go to post-race tech and uh, not so fast. Peyton Taylor, you're done for the weekend. Go home, son. Um, You don't get this win. Ricky Thornton Jr. gets the win. Well, what happened and this is why I hate crate motors, multiple reasons. Crate, motor, crate motors are stupid, okay? It just is what it is. But here's why. Because he had seals on the crate motor that were counterfeit, all right? So what does that mean? That means that somebody took that apart, they cheated it all up, and they put their own seals on there to make it look like it was sealed up. Well, one thing with IMCA racing, you get to a big show like that, they're going to tech you they're going, to, they're going to catch on to that stuff. They caught him. And, and he had a big Facebook post, Peyton Taylor did on there, that said, you know, we bought this engine used. We're not going to buy a used one anymore. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Probably. And trade didn't lie about it. But, you know, he apologized to his fans, his sponsors, his family, apologized to everybody. He said, man, it was still a fun race with Ricky. Congratulations, Ricky. So he owned up to it. But, you know, I remember back in the day, Bert, my dad was a tech guy at the Hibbing Raceway. I was in third grade, okay? I was just going into third grade. And they had a six-cylinder class, a local six cylinder class in that ran hibbing and they ran Grand Rapids. Every once in a while they go to a couple other tracks, but it was primarily primarily a local deal. Well, rumor got out that somebody was doing that same deal in Hibbing with the six cylinders. So on the last night of the year, my dad called all ten of the top ten in points and said, Here's the deal, top ten in points all of you to the tech shed, we're pulling all your engines. And every one of them said, "But oh, we're sealed. We're sealed. And my dad's like, don't care. Don't care. We're looking. I, I got a rumor here going around that you guys are all doing some stuff and we're going to find out they weren't happy. I don't remember the exact number, but it was either six, six or seven, I think of the top 10. were all cheated up. All right. And I get to school on the next Monday and I get to class and Mrs. Jenko kicks me out of class. I'm like, what she's like no you got to go sit in the hall i'm like why well she sponsored a guy by the name of brad hansen who's you know one of my friends he won a bunch of races back in the day and uh he was one of the guys that had the illegal motor and she's like no you got to sit in the hall because brad got disqualified and you know that that cost him and we weren't happy about that and she was kidding but uh it was kind of funny i'll never forget it to this day so that whole sealing up your engine deal. If anybody thinks that, that that's a viable option for like just not teching somebody, you're stupid because obviously they've been doing it for years. That was back in, had to have been like 1983, 84, somewhere in that neighborhood, <clears throat> somewhere. I, I don't, I'd have to go back and do the math on third grade. What would that have been four years? It must've been about 10 years old. So yeah, what's must've been about 84, somewhere in that neighborhood. And that seal deal doesn't work. It just simply does not. So these crate engines, if somebody's really fast in a crate engine, there might be a pretty good option or a pretty good deal that they're cheating that deal up. And that we all know it's been going on forever. So just get rid of the stupid sealed up deal because that doesn't. that's just a waste of time. It's an illusion. It doesn't do anything. And, you know, that's, that's the fact is, and I like to go back and support our local engine builders. I'm, I'm sick of this going to GM and getting engines built down in Mexico. You know, they're a bunch of junk, got junk parts in them people say oh it, it reduces the cost of racing no it does not because there's people out there that will buy 10 crate engines at a time they'll dyno it see which one's the best get rid of all the other ones no, who can do that or now they're taking the crate engines and going to one of the crate rebuilders and they're maxing it everything out and they're still it's cost them double by the time they're all said and done to gain 50 more horse just go to a local engine builder, get yourself a concept, get yourself an open motor, whatever, get this crate thing out of there. It's stupid, it's bad for racing. Here's another example right here. So that's my rant of the week brought to you by
1: Impact Health Sharing. <laughs> so where should we get to the week ahead? You know, well, we first I want to make- Go uh, ahead. I want to mention Marcus Yari, who's from Wassa, Wisconsin. He's a multi-time channel speedway, uh, IMCA modified track champion he made the trip down to uh, Batesville and uh, made the feature and finished 24th. So, you know, like we just said in the previous segment, you know, you traveled to, to race against the best and try to learn some things. So, you know, hats off to him for making the show. Absolutely. I raced against him a couple of times. I've never met him at all, but
0: uh, I remember when I raced at the SK Speedway, um, it, well, it was not, it was a spring Lake Speedway at the time when Scott Nuvall owned it, he sold it now it's the SK Speedway. But their modified rules were kind of one of those deals where you could run with soda, um, USRA, IMCA. So he made a couple trips over there. I raced against him, but I, I never got a chance to meet him. So um, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll to he, do that. He's,
1: he's a good guy
0: oh he's a mod guy of course he is (laughs) (laughs) so we talked there wasn't a lot of racing this last weekend there really wasn't we're kind of winding down to where it's going to be kind of minimal each week right we're kind of getting less and less as the year goes on well let's talk about the week ahead and this segment brought to you by the folks over at dirt track supply in watertown south dakota so whatever you need from safety equipment to parts to, I mean, like Weir's Weir's parts, they have all that over there. I mean, they have everything that you need. They're your uh, track supplier, I believe at six different racetracks. They build the aero chassis. If you're looking at getting into a new car, whether it's a street stock, a super stock, a Midwest modified, you're looking to get into something, give them guys a call because Trevor has been pretty darn bolted in his stuff. And there's some fast cars in Watertown that are aero chassis. So give them guys a call. If you need parts, which it's that time of year, we're all kind of getting back into the rebuilding for next year. It's dirttracksupply.com. You can call them. The number here's on the screen, or just simply look it up on online. But it's dirt track supply. Ask for Trevor, ask for Ron, and uh, they'll do everything they can to help you. A good group of folks out there in Watertown, South Dakota. So with that said, uh, we got the final regional late model race of the year. I'm kind of sad. Kind of sad, but uh what
1: talk a little bit about this one coming up. Well, it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Aha, I love it. <laughs> uh the Great Pumpkin Race at Mississippi Thunder Speedway. Uh they're going to be having a race like you said, the final the final local race of the year. Uh you know, it, it's actually kind of fitting that uh, the final race is at uh Mississippi Thunder because they were the first one to hold a race while the state was still in a lockdown. Uh yep. so uh you know start it and end it there
0: <laughs> you know and, and what's weird is it wasn't on the schedule right they got done and they're kind of looking and people were kind of saying we got to get the pumpkin race back and they're like I don't know, what do you think should we do it And well enough drivers kind of prodded on them and said well why not let's go ahead and do it so they added this one just a couple weeks ago it's going to be a double header friday and saturday night i believe the action can all be caught on race and dirt and it's two complete shows i believe it's two complete shows for all classes And they have multiple classes of cars there. But one thing that I'm kind of curious about is what will the late model count be? Because we have the MLRA deal coming up, the final weekend for MLRA. So I believe the Simpsons and all that, they're going to be over at that. Some of the guys I talked to, Anvilink, he ain't coming down because he's building a shop. He said Springborn probably is. Jesse Glenn said he's done. Massingill's done for the year. So I'm hoping to get a – I'd like to see 20 cars down there in the late models. But I talked to some Wissota drivers, and they showed some concern. So the concern is this. They, they kind of have that rules package to where they want to try to make it uniform so different sanctioning bodies can come in. So what they were doing with their open motors is they were putting a restrictor on them. And, and Cedar Lake, they had a one-inch restrictor, okay? And Mississippi Thunder had an inch and an eighth. Well, when I talked to people like Pat Doerr, you know, and Pat said, that inch and an eighth doesn't do nothing. He says it's not even it's not even slowing them deals down. He goes half the time on an open motor you put an inch and an eighth on there just to kind of make the thing drive better. Don't do nothing. Well, they actually at Mississippi Thunder now uh, after this la- or the last show down there they did this. They went to an inch and a quarter, so they actually made it bigger. They so they actually give the open motors just a little bit more of an edge. And now that from what I understand they're in talks with Cedar Lake trying to get them to go from one inch to one and an eighth. Well, Pat Nor you know, this guy's got a lot of experience. He's ran open stuff with soda stuff and everything in between. He's like, they're going the wrong way with this deal. He goes, if they make this deal to where the open motors are an advantage, we're just all going to quit coming and they're not going to get any with cars. And if you look at all their shows down there, half of them are with legal. Well, they don't run late models on a regular night. They simply do not. So they don't have a lot to draw from. They got to pull from all these areas. And if you get it to where the soda guys don't want to come anymore, They're going to have 10, 12 late models and they ain't going to have a show anymore. So they may want to consider that because that place there, um, Bob does not let it get bone dry most of the time. They usually farm it up and they usually get it to where there's some traction on the racetrack, which is good. But with traction, brings the advantage to the open motors. And if there's too much of an advantage there, why would you waste your time heading down there? You're bringing a knife to a gunfight, why do it? you know, they've, they've done a lot of great things over there, including reconfigure the track to make the bottom a little quicker. They're doing a lot of things, having a lot of big shows, but they may want to consider talking to the drivers that are supporting that deal to see if they're all on the same page. Cause it sounds to me like they're not.
1: Yeah. This is, this is the first that I'm hearing about this and yeah, it, it's kind of surprising that they would move in that direction um, because yeah, when they, they get good late model car counts, but that's because they incorporate all the different uh, um, different uh, sanctions and if you if one sanction if the rules of one sanction are going to be at a disadvantage those cars aren't going to come so uh, yep. it will be interesting to see how many cars are there this weekend
0: yeah you know and and knowing bob and knowing Tyrone over there they'll they'll take a look at it they'll analyze everything because You know, there, there's been comments made just in case they're listening to this, Tyrone, if you're (laughs) listening to this, there has been comments made by late model drivers that have with stuff saying, well, Jake, Tim's got an open motor. So they're just going to give him more of an edge because daddy runs the racetrack. I'm not saying that's the case, but if that starts going around too much, that's not a good thing. Right. So, you know, it's all perception in this sport. It's all perception. And if they, if, if, drivers feel that and they kind of get that stuck in their head they're gonna believe that as truth and you know he's a racer racer down there he's a a racer's promoter you know they do everything they can to try to put on a good show they're for the racer but talk to the late model guys get on the same page make sure you're all going in the right direction you know because i want to see i i'm happy i'm excited as a fan to see all the good stuff that's happening at mississippi thunder I want to see that continue and grow. And I know they got a lot of big plans for the future. I want to see that going better and better and better. I, you know, they don't need any black eyes because things have been so good there this year. So talk to the Wissota late model drivers, especially the experienced ones and get their input and and get on the same page with those guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, you know, a hundred percent, you know uh, you know, they've done a lot of good things. And one thing, that i've seen this this year is uh they they seem to really care about their drivers and they do take the input in uh i think it was earlier this year they weren't happy with the track conditions, so they they had the same payout or something like that so yeah they do a lot for the drivers
0: don't right for sure for sure
1: so you know hopefully uh you know everybody can sit down and you know figure it out and we can have a some great late model shows there next year uh but you know like i said you, like we said that's the last local show and the national series is starting to wind down too uh lucas oil has uh dirt track world championship coming up this weekend oh i'm oh. jacked up for this one uh with that said
0: there was supposed to be one more local show but the can-am clash up in oh, yeah, <laughs> for the third year in a row they canceled that they, they've never had it it's never happened and you know, it comes to the point where they finally going to just say enough, enough, let's just not even bother scheduling this deal because having a show this late in the year in Superior, Wisconsin, the odds are against you. Let's just say that. You know, but, yes. but Lucas Oil Late Models, like you said earlier, both shows canceled this last weekend um, thanks to the hurricane, right? But uh, <laughs> the biggest show of the year, the biggest show of the year, hundred grand to win, Portsmouth, Ohio, the Dirt Track World Championship, there's no World of Outlaw racing going on this week. So, in my eyes, you're going to see the top woo guys, all the Lucas guys. You're going to see people like Overton and Madden. You know, you're know, you going to see all these guys. I saw Tyler Carpenter's coming. Kyle Larson, who won his last night out in a late model. He's scheduled to be there. So, what's your over and under, Bert? I'm, I'm going to say – I'm going to go out on a limb. The optimist in me, right? I'm going to say 60
1: late models at this show. What do you think? I was, I was just – thinking 60 as that number of is it over 60 or under 60 and i'll say over 60 by okay. a little bit by I, a little i'm bit.
0: hoping i'm hoping <laughs> you're right i talked to my buddy jeff and he says i think you're going to be close but jeff is taking our, our late model experts taking the under and i think i'm going to go with the over the optimist on me i'm going to be with you bert just over 60 cars but needless to say there's going to be a ton of good ones and and let's make some hits. i mean who do you got to win uh the top paying show of 2020 for the late models, who do you got?
1: Well, I was thinking about this today, and I've been a, a, a little a little hard on him a little bit this year, uh, but he's been running good the last few weeks. I am going to go with Josh Richards. Uh, he seems to have a lot of success in this race, and he's been running good the last few weeks, so uh, he's going to be my pick. There you go. So I, you I'll, I'll let you go with b Shep.
0: I'm not taking b Chef.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not.
0: I'm not. I'm not. I'm taking. I'm taking T Mac. Now, okay. The reason why is he has the most crown jewel wins, and can he extend that by one? So you know, let's we can each take a dark horse in there, and
1: I'll, I'll, I'll you take your dark horse. No, you, you go first with the dark horse. I got to think. I'll a little take
0: chef as a dark horse then. Oh, real dark. real dark, <laughs> real dark horse in that one, right? That's okay, I'll, I'll, really I'll going take- out there on a limb.
1: I'll take Kyle Larson as a dark horse. There you go. That's, that's
0: <laughs> at least more of a dark horse. But, boy, this is going to be a good one. And yes, Thursday night sounds like uh, um, Jeff said that they got – it's kind of like Cedar Lake where they have qualifying and then they're going to do some kind of a dash. I don't know if they're going to do that elimination deal. Or that's going to be at the world finals, excuse me. That's not at this one. Um, it's just Heath's one day features the next at
1: this one, isn't it? I'm not sure. I, I didn't look at the schedule. Yeah.
0: I was talking, well, I was thinking the world finals. He told me about that. And the first day is a non-points race. It's just qualifying in a couple, some kind of a dash deal. But that's coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that as we get a little closer. But needless to say, uh, the points is all wrapped up. So, I mean, it's basically everybody that's in the top five is locked in, right? But uh, the, the money's on the line for this one. I'd like to see a breakdown. I don't have that in front of me. We'll have it for the next show when we talk about the recap of it next week. But a hundred grand to win—that is the highest-paying show for the late models in 2020. And and like I said, what I'm most excited about is everybody should be at this one because they don't have World of Outlaw stuff going on. And you know, there's a lot of different guys from a lot of different regions that should be heading down. So I'm I'm super excited to see that.
1: Yeah, and uh, none of the drivers will be racing for points. I mean, it's going to be strictly you're your racing to win.
0: <laughs> yep, yeah, there's there's no saving your equipment to get a good point sign. hammer down. Now, with that said, Kyle Larson is going to be at that race, which means that he will not be at the World of Outlaw Sprint Car Races that's at Lakeside Speedway in uh, Kansas. And then they have uh, the Jason Johnson Classic at the Lake Ozark Speedway in Alden, Kansas, That's Friday and Saturday. So surprise, surprise, five races left for the world of Outlaws. Uh, Who's going to rise to the top this weekend in the woo sprint cars?
1: Um, I'll go with a dark horse. uh, Donnie Schatz, I'll I'll go with. (laughs) I was just going to say that. No,
0: I I can't pick them now because you did. But I'm really hoping, you know, because he's kind of a local guy for us. I'm he's really been pecking away at that. Point he has, <laughs> he has. He's been really good the last few weeks. So my the optimist in me says by the end of the weekend he's in striking distance for the point lead. That's what I'm really hoping. Um, a guy that I've had a fun time watching this year, Sheldon Hadenchild. Um, he's really up on the wheel, so he's gonna be my guy to kind of keep an eye on this weekend. So two good races with no Kyle Larson. I'm guessing all the World of Outlaw Sprint guys are they're kind of licking their chops a little bit, going, thank God, he's not coming this week. So that, that's my well, thoughts anyway.
1: Well, it's funny that you uh, mentioned they only have five more races to go. Uh, even if uh, Brad Sweet won every one of those races, he'd only be ahead of Larson in victories by one.
0: <laughs> Isn't that something? And, yeah, Kyle Larson, we'll talk about that in a minute here. But, yeah, he's he's leading the win count. He only has half the shows. And he's been on fire. So they got to be super happy that he's not going to be there for sure. So that gets us into the last lap, Bert, presented by Zuli Race Engines. This is not crate engines, this is Zuli Race Engines. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they build engines for all classes. You know, I talked to Justin Vogel, and, you know, he just raves about his. I mean, he's a former national champion. He said that. He can tell he had when he had an older motor in his car that wasn't from Frank, he was okay. He put the engine in the car from Frank and boom, he's right in the front, you know, challenging for the win each and every night. And I talked to a lot of people that actually run his stuff. Very happy, give Frank Zulia a call. Um, does a great job for a lot of drivers based out of kind of that Western Minnesota area. And uh, I, Vogel's the main guy I know that runs his stuff and he can't say enough good about that. In fact, I'm going to have to jump online with, with him, maybe do an exclusive just to get him to talk about that a little bit. But Frank Zuli, great job over there, Zuli Race Engines, and that brings us into the last lap, Bert. Um, go ahead. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, we're talking about uh, uh well, there's some NASCAR news this week. Um, we we're talking about Kyle Larson a little bit. I mean, this news doesn't necessarily pertain to him, but it might pertain to him. Maybe. Uh, uh, Clint Boyer has announced that he will be retiring uh, from the NASCAR's top series uh, at the end of this year. He's going to be going into the booth at Fox Sports. Um, so he races for, uh, obviously, Stuart Haas Racing. And uh, Tony Stewart is a big backer of uh, Kyle Larson. So uh, could this be the ride that Larson was looking for to get back into NASCAR? I guess time will tell.
0: I'm saying that all the dirt fans out there that like Kyle Larson, this is where we want him. If he's going to go back to NASCAR, that's where we want him. Optimally we want him driving for Tony Stewart because he will have the ability and the latitude to be able to race other things. And if he gets in the wrong ride in NASCAR, he probably won't have that opportunity because they have some different clauses out there. And uh, Stewart's going to start his new other program that he's got going on this year. Could Kyle Larson be one of the guys running his, his series that he has. So this could all tie together. Well, I heard some other names maybe in the mix, but you know, knock on wood right here, right. Kyle Larson, young money driving for Tony Stewart. I think that's a perfect fit. Hopefully we can make it happen.
1: Yeah. I mean uh, you know, Larson has so many victories this year in the, you know, on the dirt side, you hate to see him go to NASCAR We've kind of been spoiled spoiled a little bit because uh, I know it's the money. Uh, but, uh, you know, what are his stats for this year in the World of Outlaw Series?
0: Well, he's won 24. Uh, wait, let me let – me, 12 of 24. 12 of 24. 12 of 24. There's been 49 shows. So he hasn't even entered half of them. He's been in 24 of 49 shows. And he's at a 50% win rate. On those, and I, I should have the numbers. We'll try to get it after the World of Outlaws season is done. We'll talk about it more in depth. But I bet he's in the top three, the lion's share of the time, right? You know, so that's that's just crazy. You know, 50% mm-hmm. win rate, a win rate only running half the series. Those guys got to be super happy that he only ran half the series, <laughs> otherwise, he'd be it'd be just like the late models and modifieds, he'd be gone in that deal right now, is what he would be. So, but yeah, that. He's a guy, I mean, again, thank you NASCAR for booting him out. So we've had an opportunity to see his talents on dirt because it's been a treat. I mean, I, I like watching talented race car drivers get around a racetrack. He's one of the most, if not the most talented guy, just a natural talent and being able to seen that, see that as a race fan, that's been awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talk about, you know, his number of victories and his number of starts, you know, we, we get so excited with you know the number of wins brandon Shepard you know has this year and the number of wins that jimmy owens has in the lucas series this year but when you compare it to percentage of starts you know it you know it's just amazing what larson's done
0: it, it's it's actually it's all it's sickening, is what it is <laughs> i mean <laughs> here i thought i won a few races back in the day but my numbers were nothing like that that guy i mean he can flat out drive and like him, hate him, whatever it is, everybody's got their opinions. He's one of the best ever strapped in, and
1: uh, he's not even close to being done yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's not enough words to talk about him.
0: <laughs> no, there's not. We'll get into that as, as we talk in the driver of the year and all that stuff later. He's going to be in the conversation for that. But speaking of asphalt a little bit, you know, one of your Wisconsin guys there did something pretty impressive at another asphalt race. Talk a little bit about that, Bert.
1: Yeah, uh, Ty Majewski, Uh We've talked about him a few times on the show, uh, especially back in February uh, when there wasn't uh, when, NAS- when the NASCAR series was just getting started for the year because he had a full-time ride uh, in the truck series. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he's not in a truck anymore right now. Uh, but it's not due to lack of talent, at least on the local side, because. He can flat out drive a, a super late model. And um, it, they were racing at uh, Oktoberfest in lacrosse this weekend. It's a, I can't remember how many years it's been going on, but it's been going on for, I think it's been over 40 years that Oktoberfest has been going on in lacrosse. And uh, Ty Majeski was there racing. And uh, I was glad to see him do this. He took a challenge where if he started at the back of the field, he would get an extra, I believe, $6,800. He took the challenge, started in the back, moved to the front and won. So, uh, you know, he's definitely a par above the local drivers. He's that good. So it, it was good to see him take that challenge and not just start up front and, you know, And I'm not sure sure where he would have started if he wouldn't have taken the challenge, but it would have been, you know, closer to the front and, you know, take the challenge, see what you can do. I saw him race earlier this year at uh, WIR in Kakana and he was definitely the class of the field at that race. And Kyle Busch was there and uh, Bubba Pollard, one of the top asphalt late model drivers in the country was there too. So uh, he's definitely a step above the local drivers but apparently uh well what i've heard is the driver well he was replaced by trevor bain apparently in the truck series and apparently uh trevor bain brought a sponsorship with them so money <laughs> right
0: so, when you're talking nascar asphalt ARCA trucks that's all money i mean don't get me wrong some of those guys are extremely talented but talent without money gets you nowhere in that game right. so it's kind of a sad deal because he, I mean, I've seen him race and he's a hell of a race car driver. And, you know, I think he just wants to be like Shane Sabrasky. You know, I mean, we started <laughs> that deal, right. With the super stocks, Sabrasky <laughs> taking the back row challenge, dirt, uh, dirt race central started the whole money, the, the whole funding behind that. He did it. Then Chad Finkbone did it in the pure stock. And he's like, well, Hey, if them guys can do it, I can do it too. And, uh, but that's pretty cool. I mean, I can't remember ever in all my years. Remember, even one person taking a back row challenge and winning. And there was three people that did it this year, one in a, in a super stock, one in a pure stock. And then of course, him and the asphalt late models, which would probably be, you know, the step above that's kind of the top level class there. You know, that's not something you see very often. So when it happens, you know, race fans, if you had an opportunity to see that, you know, cherish it because it's something that you don't see very often, you know, usually the competition is just far too fierce for something like that to happen. And, and there was, uh, there was a lot of cars in that race. I don't have it in front of me, but it was, I believe it was in the high thirties. I don't think it was, maybe it was 40, but it was, there was a pile of cars. So it's not like he started in back. There was 12, 15, 18 cars. No, there was a full field of cars and he drove by all of them to win. So hats off Ty Majeski. Uh, I'm looking forward to see if that guy can take it to the next level in, in racing, you know, being a, a Midwestern guy. I'd love to see more Midwestern guys have that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I just wanted to, you were talking about back row challenges. Back in the 90s, uh, one year, Shano, well, one of the late model drivers organized a challenge like that. So every week, a uh, driver had an opportunity to start in the back of the feature. Um, actually, two drivers did win the challenge. Uh, Chuck Buckby, who's in the Channel Speedway Hall of Fame, and uh, Terry Evelink, uh won the challenge. Also, Nick avelink 's dad. Uh, okay. I think I think Terry Avelink won like $2,000 by taking a challenge. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Um, this day and age, yeah, it, it, it seems to be tougher because um, back then, we, we've talked about this plenty of times, the tracks were heavier. So, you know, you could, I, I think, you know, it was more uh, conducive to take the back row challenge back then. But now uh, you don't necessarily have that cushion up. To ride
0: <laughs> no you don't it, it, it's good for the sport right because it, it creates unpredictability is what it creates a lot of times you know you go to a especially a local regular night race there's really only a couple guys that are really going to be in the hunt to win it seems to be the case most nights most tracks because with all the classes they got six seven classes at a lot of these tracks well that really spreads things out so you got two or three good ones in each class and you know, don't get me wrong, there's a few other people that sneak in a win, but at most tracks nowadays, I could literally look at the lineup and I could say, okay, he's gonna win, he's gonna win, he's gonna win, and that's the way it is. And when they take that back row challenge, it gives the fans something to really cheer about. And every time I've seen it, every whether see, and this is something Chad Finkbone, okay, he won about every pure stock race he entered this year. He flat out dominated. And yes, it's just a pure stock, but needless to say he won every single one. Well, people didn't cheer for him. They're like, the guy wins all the time. Who cares? He didn't cheer. But that pierced stock race on Labor Day, when he won last corner pass for the win to win from dead last after taking the challenge, the whole crowd erupted. So that tells you right there that things like that are good for the sport. I mean, we've got to do more of that kind of stuff because it gets the fans interacting. It creates excitement. And uh, that's, that's something the sport really needs right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it is good for the sport. And, you know, speaking of things good for the sport, is silly season good for the sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, got a little news.
0: I got another text. I got it from our, our, our expert, Jeff, there. He said Hudson O'Neill got himself a new ride. The New Deal got a new deal. And he's going to be driving for Double Down Motorsports. Shannon Buckingham, Um, they ran a lot of Lucas Oil stuff, followed most of the series. But what I read in the article is, towards the end of the season he kind of dropped off the series for work related stuff or whatever. So as a car owner, you're like, well, you know, I get it, you know, but the fact is we're, we're paying for your ride. You need to be at all the shows. I don't know if there's more to it than that, but uh, I guess one of the first big moves of the year here is Hudson O'Neill going to, and they're switching. See, they were running longboards. And now they switched over to rockets. So you're going to see Hudson O'Neill. I think he's, I believe he's going to follow the Lucas oil series. Um, in a rocket for double down motorsports. So pretty cool to see. Now talking about late models, you know, the world of Omaha has made a little bit of an announcement, Bert. Um, I don't know if you saw that online. They made a little announcement.
1: I did. Coming season. What, what's your take on that? Uh, well, I mean, at first glance, you think, well, that that's great. You know, it's great for the drivers because uh, uh, they, uh, um, they came up with minimums to start. And for, uh, for every race next year, it's going to at least be a minimum of a thousand dollars to start. I think, uh, they said 10th was going to be, what did they say? 10th was going to be two, 2000. And then, uh, then they have, uh, well minimum of 10,000 to win. Um, so, I mean, like I said, on the surface, that looks great. Uh, but I did see, uh, some Facebook chatter and I saw you had chimed in a little bit in, in that discussion. Uh, because I know the promoter at Shano Speedway, uh, Brad Lipke also chimed in uh, because Shawano Speedway has hosted uh, World of Outlaws uh, nine of the last 10 years. This was the first year out of the last 10 that they didn't. Um, it's gonna cost more. Now, I would assume it's gonna cost more for tracks to host a late model show. And so are you gonna loot? you know tracks that have held races in the past are they going to be able to hold them in the future are you going to limit yourself as to where you can run because tracks can't afford to 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 host a race
0: i'm going to say yes i mean i know that the grand rapids speedway you know we were going to host a a world of outlaw late event. now prior to the season i didn't pay as much of attention to you know, what series was better and this and that, you know, both of them had good drivers, but I watched both of them this year and it seems like the Lucas oil late model series is all, it's a step above right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then you take the world of all laws. I mean, Bloomquist is just really, I mean, he got one win in there, but he's been a non-factor. He was kind of the big calling card um, Madden. He dropped off the series. So both them two are So You really, you have B Shep and then you have Ricky Weiss and, you know, um, was it Lannigan? Is that who got hurt?
1: Lannigan, there? yeah. Yeah, there. in there.
0: You know, then Cade Dillard runs good. You know, so there's, there's, a hand, um, there's a handful of guys that run good. But the Lucas Oil Series, I mean, I think you, you just look at the top five there, and it's just a step above the, the top five in the world of all laws, in my opinion. Now, we looked at the numbers, and just based on the numbers, the Grand Rapids Speedway, in order to break even, In order to break even on the event with all the costs that it takes to go into that show, there had to be about 2,200 people there, okay? Well, now you start adding more money to that because the Grand Rapids Speedway, in the history of the Grand Rapids Speedway, has never even come close to 2,000 people at any event. None of them. I mean, the only thing might have been an enduro. That's it. As far as a race, I'm talking the Wasota Classic. I'm talking, like, all kinds of stuff. They've never got close to 2,000. Well, then, there's a couple things here that the World of Outlaw has got going against them, okay? One is called dirt vision, all right? And the problem, I love it as a fan because you can have a subscription. You can watch all the races, but it kills kills your race program because you take Grand Rapids on a – let's say they're going to run on a Thursday night. Well, on Tuesday, they were going to run Superior. Thursday – grand rapids friday grand forks saturday Ogilvie sunday menominee well if the weather's a little bit sketchy the fans are going to be like you know what i got dirt vision i'm going to stay home i'm not driving from duluth to rapids i'm not driving from the cities to rapids i'm just going to stay home i can watch it online the weather looks better this day we're going to go well if dirt vision was a pay-per-view option where they had to pay for it each race then the fans would be making a decision well I can pay for it online to watch it, or if I'm going to pay for it, I might as well just go. So that's number one. But number two, when they start adding more expense to the program, that the track's the one who sees that. So in order to even break even on that deal, now you're going to add a few more thousand dollars to that deal. And those the smaller tracks, the ones that don't have a – if they're more in a rural area, they don't have a big fan base – There's going to be a lot of them looking at the numbers and saying, you know what, we just can't make it work this year. And I talked to a few promoters. They're all on the same page. Great for the drivers. I'm a driver, right? Great for the drivers, but not real good for the racetracks. And, you know, we'll we'll have to see how that goes in 2021. I'm not real impressed with some of the things the World Racing Group's doing. And we're going to talk about that here in a couple weeks. But one of them is their schedule change, what they got going on in January that kind of pisses me off a little bit, to be honest, but we'll talk about that when the time comes.
1: Well, one thing too with the World of Outlaws, uh, you know, they, they like to do swings in cer- certain geographic areas. I would think under this new format, a track that's going to host a World of Outlaw event, they're going to want some exclusive, you know, they're not, they're going to want the next race to be X number of hours or X number of miles away because just for example, this year, you know, Seymour, uh, out of gaming speedway in seymour wisconsin had a race and then the next night they raced at plymouth well that's probably uh you know two hour drive you know so from a fan are you going to get enough fans at two tracks that are that close together
0: yeah and that's where you got to look in at it from in different order to angles. make a profit yeah that's where you got to look at human. it you got to look at it from different angles because on the track side you're exactly right they're like I don't want another World of Outlaw race within two, three hours of me. It's got to be a little further away. We're trying to have our fan base here, right? But as a driver, I want to have four that are within like an hour, right? Because, you know, it's just better for the driver. It's better for the series, kind of, because they, you know, they get paid on the number of shows. So they want to make it easier for their drivers. So I get it. As a a former driver, I get it. Because you want all these races lumped right together. So there's less travel costs. Less traveling, less driving time, less pain in the butt. But but for the track side of things, that's where you know, and even fans. If a fan has a little bit a little bit of ex, you know, little extra money in their pocket, it's great to have a bunch right in an area because they can hit right. all of them if they choose to. But for the for the tracks, oh man, it just depends on what track it is. Some tracks are doing well enough financially where it's like, hey, this ain't a big deal. We'll we'll make it work. But the tracks that are you know, a little bit more, you know, kind of not really getting ahead financially, the ones that are kind of tread water, that's a lot of risk. And now you just, mm-hmm. it's already a lot of risk to have that show, but now they added more risk and, you know, we'll see how it works out. <laughs> yeah. So and, uh, so, Bert, uh, talking about the late models there uh, and World of Outlaw specifically, I saw a little news on one of the World of Outlaw late model drivers.
1: Yeah, I just saw this uh, tonight when I was uh, looking around uh, online and uh, uh, Black Sunshine, uh, Mr. Scott Blomquist is going to, for the first time ever, be in an IMCA modified. He's raced a modified before, but never an IMCA modified. Uh, obviously, he won the 100, I believe it was 100,000 away at Batesville several years ago. I have the diecast in my in my collection, <laughs> um, and then he also did race at Mississippi Thunder Speedway uh, one time in a modified. Uh, but he will be racing at the what Duel in the Desert uh, yeah. in no, mid November. So, uh, you know, we've talked about how he may be slipping a little bit, but he's still willing to try new things. He's actually going to be racing. Uh, I wrote it down. <laughs> Racing a car from Zane Devil Bliss, and he must build his own chassis because it's a Devil Bliss chassis. Uh, So uh, um, we'll have to see how that goes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the over and under. I don't know how many shows. they got multiple shows out there. This is going to be on XR. And and there's already – they have IMCA mods, sport mods, and IMCA stock cars. They already have 460 cars pre-registered for this event. So that's that's big numbers out there. That's crazy. But over and under on how many shows is he gonna miss because he got stuck in the casino? <laughs> that might be that might be his whole reason for running Vegas. It's like Scott, come run my car, it's right by Vegas. We're in Vegas here. Lots of casinos in Vegas. You know, so over and under, do you think he'll miss a show because uh, he was more
1: focused on the casino than the racetrack? Um, I'll say he makes it to all the shows, but I see where you're coming from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll find out, and if he does win, we know where that money's going. Just just a matter of which casino's getting it, because he he likes to gamble a little bit. So I guess we'll find out. But pretty cool to see. It's good for it's good for that series that he's going to be out there because that'll pull in a few more views and a few more people. But uh, let's talk about the wins. You know, we talked about Kyle Larson a little bit. We mentioned he won 12 of 24. He has 41 wins on dirt this year out of 81 shows it's just over 50 percent win rate in everything that he's been in and then you add up and we'll have to do this at some point here at the end of the year but how many seconds and thirds so how many podium finishes that's something that i'm gonna have to take a look at does he have on 81 shows it's astonishing right it's astonishing so would he in your in your mind is it is there even a question if he'd be leading the world of all championship points right now if he ran every show
1: Oh it, yeah, there's there's no question. I mean, it wouldn't even be close. <laughs>
0: right. So the next the next closest, I think, isn't it? Sweet's got eight wins. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So that's only four less. And he and he ran forty-eight out of forty-nine, as compared to twelve out of twenty-four. Yeah, I like them numbers. Now, looking at the late models, you got B. Shep, you know, and uh, Jimmy Owens. Both of them have the most wins in their respective series, and that's why their point lead is just. I mean catastrophically huge jimmy owens of course won he's now even though they have one race left but he is officially the 2020 lucas oil late model series champion so congratulations to him and uh, brandon Shepard. i mean they might as well write in the check now because that's all but over (laughs) but you know i want to talk about a local guy okay so that's enough on the national series a guy that struggled right he was right there in the power rankings you know on the one to go show and then for kind of the bulk of the summer, right, July, part of August, we're like, I don't know what's happened to this guy, he's like off the pace, Pat Norrell fell right out of the top 10, like he was kind of a non-factor for quite a while there, coming into invitational season, and if you're watching this show, and you don't know what we're talking about, in our region, the Wissota region, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, every year starting Labor Day weekend, there's an invitational season where every show is like a big invite, you know, and the track points are all done, and you know, it's kind of our, we call it the invitational season. Well, he has the most wins out of all the late model guys at invite time. With four, he won both days of hitting raceways, Labor Day shootout. He won the Russ Larson Classic up at the gondek Law Speedway in Superior, Wisconsin. In this past weekend, he won the Fall Classic in Ogilvy. So Pat Doerr, four wins the invitational season. Uh, I don't know if he's going to Mississippi Thunder or not. He, he voiced a little displeasure about their you know, the changes they made to the engine rules, but a great way to cap off the 2021 2020 season for the double one express.
1: Yeah. I, I think uh, as soon as he dropped off our top 10 list, I think that's when he, when he, got into victory lane it was shortly after that so you you made them a little angry i think
0: you know here's the deal you know i mean we call people out they rise to the occasion you know they don't snivel in the corner and cry we call them out they come back and win so if you're a driver that's struggling shoot us a text law no i'm not scared i'll call you out you know for sure you know there's a few of you that i got in mind right now but we'll talk about that as we approach the coming season but you know uh great show here tonight And, and you know what are you doing this weekend i mean there's not a lot of racing going on in our area. Really, the only thing is Mississippi Thunder, which is a little bit of a drive for both of us. What are you excited for this weekend?
1: Well, obviously, uh, the Dirt Track World Championship is uh, probably uh, the thing I'm most excited about racing-wise. So, uh, But uh, I may tune in to uh, at least watch the highlights of the Sprint Car Series. I, uh, past years, I would have never said that, but uh, they actually put on a really good show. <laughs>
0: They, they do. And, and Keith is going to be so happy that you said that, right? <laughs> because Jeff is a huge late model guy. Keith is a huge sprint car guy. They're always going at it, but, you know, the entertainment value of the World of Outlaw Sprint Cars, I mean, the hype, the, their, their announcer is, is amazing. They have, like, before the races, they got the music playing. It just kind of gets that blood flowing. It gets you pumped up. So I'll be watching that. I'm definitely going to watch the Dirt Track World Championship. That's going to be on Lucas Oil Racing TV. And another one that is going to be on Racing uh, Dirt, I'm going to watch. I will watch the Pumpkin Race down at uh, Mississippi Thunder because they always put on a good show down there. They got some great mod racing, great midway. Or they call them um, USRA B mods, I think, is what they call them. And then, of course, the final late model race here of the whole year. Pat Knorr right now is number one in our power rankings. Right now, AJ Demos in second. Jesse Glens is third. Jeffrey Massengill fourth. James Nitro, Giassi and fifth. And out of that whole group in the top five, I know Giasi. I, I guess I don't know if he's going to head down there, but he has a win down there at Mississippi Thunder. Mm-hmm. Glens and Massengill are not going. Door's kind of leaning towards not going. And I'm wondering if AJ Demo's going to go. So there might be a final shake up here with one show, one, one weekend, because it's a doubleheader, two complete shows. So I'll be watching a little bit of racing from the comfort of my own home here. And Bert, it's been a pleasure. Uh, looking forward yeah. to the next one, two away. And we're going to have one year in the books.
1: Yeah, we, we better get Pook on for that one.
0: We're going to have to get Puka on there because it's not the same when I say it, but Puka always says this. (laughs) Folks, thanks for joining us on the One One to Go show. Go out there and be your dream. We'll be back at you next week.